Welcome to episode 34 of 1530. We're going to be discussing the Australian Open, some of the challenges going on here in 2021 with the pandemic that never ends, apparently. Um, and obviously, we don't have any tennis yet. It's being a little bit delayed, but we do want to talk about some epic matches that have been played in Australia, some of our favorites, and talk about some of the numbers behind them, some of the players that we're looking at for the start of this year in 2021. But we're excited for some tennis and hope things go smoothly in Australia with the quarantine and um, containing the virus. Welcome to 1530. Now introducing your hosts, Ben and Matt. First, we got a stat of the day. So a couple stats of the day. We'll just talk about seven Australian Opens. So that's the record for the most Australian Opens held by Novak Djokovic and counting, I guess, because he could he could win it this year. Broke the tie with Roger Federer, who was at six last year when he defeated Dominic Team in a five-setter, which Team was actually up two sets to one on Djokovic. But Djokovic was able to rally there. Um, interesting, interestingly, the other player, top players, only Nadal's only won one Australian Open. He's made the final several times. Somehow only had one. That, a little surprising to me, even, even though he's been so effective at the U.S. Open, winning multiple titles there. But I think if he won Australia, he would be the only man to have won every Grand Slam tournament at least twice. So more history to be made for Nadal if he wins it. And then zero for Andy Murray, even though he's made the final a record five times and has lost it all five to mostly to Djokovic and then one final to Federer. So another kind of going into the stat of the day since 2004, the big three. So Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, they have won every single one of the Australian Opens, except for two of them. One was Murat Safin in 2005, who defeated Federer in um, that epic, I believe it was semifinal. And then Stan Wawrinka in 2014, of course, beating Djokovic in the quarterfinals and then defeating Nadal, the top-ranked player in the final. Kind of shocking everyone. Everyone kind of thought Nadal had that one. But yeah, so kind of kind of crazy um, as far as the side of the day goes that it seems like the, the top guys always do well in Australia. Matt, any reason what's, you know, what's going on with that? I feel like the big three especially have a stranglehold on the first major of the year. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I guess you have the benefit of coming off of the whatever offseason you get in a pro tennis circuit. And for whatever reason, it's Djokovic's zen he just mm -hmm. he's had opportunities to lose like you said you mentioned at least one match he's been down two sets and finds a way consistently i i think that's a big part of it right it's just an ability to get the rest you need and come off and just play whereas other tournaments you know nadal owns the french so you've got that locked up fed had his time in wimbledon and it's a little bit further in the season than in new york is someone up in the air probably more jokes now than anybody's but um I, you, you're getting towards the end of the season there. So Nadal's bounced, been bounced a couple of times for injury and, and such. So I think he just had that fresh start beginning of the season. That's my thoughts. Yeah, no, I agree with that. There's something in the air. Yeah, definitely interesting there. Like Shane, I think Djokovic just, for whatever reason, is comfortable down there, lo loves the courts. You know, he is one of the best hardcore players. But, yeah, for whatever reason, he's more comfortable there. He's won way more in Australia than the U.S. It's I mean, I know you said it is kind of Djokovic probably by default, but, you know, I feel like that one's been pretty wide open pretty much every year. And, it, you know, I feel like even the Dolls won, you know, the U.S. Open a little bit recently. But, yeah, Djokovic, for, for whatever reason, plays well in Australia. And everyone else kind of maybe, like said, toward the end of the season, they just don't play as well in the U.S. Open. And there's more upsets and things. But, yeah, just I just think that's interesting to see. I know Federer, with his resurgence in 2017, he won it back-to-back, 2017-2018. Of course, epically over Nadal in five sets in the final. But before that, he had to overcome Nishikori in five. And I believe it was the, the round of 16. And then 
He had an easier match against uh, Misha Zverev, uh, Sasha's brother. He defeated him in straights, but then he had five sets against uh, Stan Wawrinka in the semis. So that was that was tricky for him. He, I think, he won the first two sets. Stan came back, won the next two, and then it was a, a battle in the fifth set. So again, you know, Federer, of course, he won't be playing this year at this Australian Open, but he's also found some success late in his career um, down in Australia, which is interesting. So it'll be interesting to see as well how fast the courts play. I know a couple of those years, I think especially the, one of the years Federer won it, they were saying the courts were super fast. Um, generally, it's like a more of a medium pace. You know, the ball doesn't bounce, doesn't go super well through the court. It's it's more just kind of that medium pace, which is nice for a lot of rallies. I feel like you get a lot of close matches. And then you brought up the good point, right, with everyone having rest and very people are motivated. They're excited to start the season, and I think they are able to see if their hard work pays off, which – like you could see Dominic team, you know, from his off season last year, he was destructive, you know, going into that final and, and honestly having a great shot of winning. So it'll be interesting to see who this year had a good off season. Especially with the, the unique circumstances, right? I mean, oh, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know if you were planning on talking about this, obviously there are no statistics <laughs> involved in the, yeah. The craziness that was the quarantine for these players. I don't know if they weren't mm, prepared for what was going to happen. Uh, I mean, Australia has some of the tightest lockdown conditions at the moment. Yeah. They've controlled the virus pretty well because of it. But uh, I, I don't know. That was a unique situation. I, uh, in a, in a, what, what's more interesting to me is to see how these how the condition of these players is right i read an article um where they interviewed murray's uh trainer i think i believe it was his trainer they were talking to and it, that was you know he talked about his concerns you know you've got two weeks you're stuck in a in a small apartment and um you're just mo missing a lot of that movement you know he made the statement that um the normal person you know they go and exercise if they're not you know, they're not exercising daily, so it hurts a little bit to exercise. You know, you get sore or whatever. But for these people, for these professional athletes, it's almost the opposite, right? If they're not working out every day, if they're not training every day the way they're normal, mm -hmm. then they feel the opposite way. Just didn't, sitting around is, is, you know, causes soreness and, and stuff more so than, than the opposite direction. It, it'll be interesting to see for me um, just the – if there are more injuries in this tournament, if there are, there's a little bit less quality there. Let's see if, if that happens. Yeah, that's a really good point that you bring up there. I didn't even, didn't even think about it that way. Like you're saying, for you know these players that you know they not only bring their their full team where they have their their physio and they have their fitness trainer and like you're saying, it's kind of a whole day thing of not only the tennis but just you know the the endurance training or the weight training and. You know, they've seen a lot of videos and things on social media where people are they're trying to just, you know, do little strength exercises that they can in their hotel room or bouncing the ball against the, the wall in the hotel room. And you're like, you know, at least they're trying to do something. But is that the same? Obviously, obviously not. So and I, and I know the big complaint, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, they're whiners. You know, they're super wealthy. They're very lucky to be in Australia. But I know on the other hand, I was hearing or reading an article about how, yeah, maybe the top players are being prioritized as far as practice times, but some of the lower ranked guys, they're the schedules changing around a lot. They're missing out on different practice times. And, 
And I just hope, yeah, like you're saying, I hope the quality is still there. Um, it'll be interesting to see if, if for some reason, a lot of players aren't really in form, if especially the top players can play into form or yeah. when the draw comes out, I want to see, obviously be interested to see the draw to see if there's going to be someone tricky coming up, especially someone like a good server or something that maybe you're not, you're not ready for. Maybe that's, you know, I think John Isner can hit big serves no matter if he's in shape or not, but yeah, it'll be interesting. Like you're saying, I wonder if we'll see more upsets. Like I, I didn't even think about injuries, like you mentioned. So kind of a, an, an asterisk you could say in this tournament or at least a wild card. So it begs the question, obviously I'm not getting paid the big bucks that these tournament organizers are. And I don't know how easy it would be to do, but I don't understand why they didn't do something similar to what happened in, in New York for the U S open. You know, they moved that Cincinnati tournament over to the same stadium oh, yeah. so that the players could all congregate. And then you had a nice little warm up tournament and got into the main, the, the grand slam. Yeah. And I think that would have made more sense. You get the players there earlier into Australia, give them their two week quarantine, make sure that everything's okay. Give them a warm up tournament. That's best of three, you know, not too big of a deal. And then you get into the grand slam where, where things yeah. really matter. But. Yeah. Cause like you're saying, a lot of the players, they kept their same schedule. They were coming from Adelaide and different areas around Australia where they got to play a little bit, but still not the same right so sure. yeah that's a, that's actually a really good insight there but we'll see how they do because they obviously are not doing that so the tournament will be starting here on i believe the first week of february so that will be fascinating all right matt who do you got i know i know djokovic you know he has to be the favorite he's won it seven times he always looks so strong in australia but if, if djokovic is off the table who would you at least be interested in seeing how well they how well they do. Who do you think are some of our other favorites for this tournament? You know, that's a really good question. Um, my bias always inclines me to suggest Rafa at first, but I I don't know. Yeah. Like you said, he struggles here for some reason um, with only one win. So I don't know if you're taking joke off the table. Man, I don't know. Yeah. Hopefully you see somebody come in and, and just play lights out and see some fresh blood. I mean, team in, in Medvedev have been playing well, you know, in the, to end the season last year. And mm -hmm. so maybe they'll continue that over. But yeah. Like, I mean, I right when I prefer the seeing team over Medvedev, but that's just a personal preference. No, I, no, I agree with that. But yeah, I had the same thought, you know, as I was asking the question, I was like, man, about Djokovic, I really don't know. And like you're saying, maybe Nadal's just kind of been unlucky or has faced some hotter players like Djokovic or Stan that one year. But maybe, you know, the odds of him only having one are not very good. So maybe maybe he'll get lucky eventually and just win it. So the draw opens up for him. But yeah, like Shane, besides, you know, Djokovic, maybe Nadal if he's playing well, I, I really honestly don't know. I've, you know, team... I feel like we'll always be up there, but we'll see if the fitness is the same, see if his hardcore game, you know, can last, or if he gets a bad draw and happens to face Djokovic on his half of the draw. I don't know, but uh, Zverev, he played excellent getting to the US Open final, but you know, I don't know. He's a wild card. He made what? What did he make? The semifinals last year in Australia? So he actually made it pretty far, which was impressive. He beat Stan in the, I believe that was the quarters. He lost the first set 6-1, came back to win it, and I was like, I was surprised to see with that mental toughness, but I, I really, I really don't know. Like you're saying, uh, Cici Pass, he made the semifinals against Nadal um, in 2019, I believe it was. He beat the defending champ Roger Federer in the previous round. So, 
I don't know. I'll be, uh, be interested to see. But I, if I had to pick, I would I would probably just pick with pick team. I feel like he's pretty safe bet to go far. But yeah, which is saying something, right? I mean, that's, yeah, it is. He's not a uh, not one of the big three. So to to say you have confidence in the team, that's he's been a very consistent player as of late. Yeah, it's good to see him coming into form. He he really has. Like you're saying, it's he's hard to bet against, honestly, and. But I mean, like at the same time, like you said, there's plenty of guys. Medvedev, you know, he reeled off a bunch of. I don't think he lost in the ATP World Tour Finals against all these top, you know, top mm-hmm. eight guys. He didn't lose. Rublev had an awesome season last year. Zverev made a Grand Slam final and a semifinal last year. I feel like there are a lot of guys. I wouldn't be surprised if any one of those dudes made it really far in the second second week, semifinals or or further. So, mm-hmm. I'm I'm very excited to watch good tennis. Though is what I want. You think Joke is going to be thrown off? He, man, he's going to be thrown off. I won't say anything. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. He made some serious, some some real it's, comments here in this. No, it's hard. I won't talk about it, but <laughs> I, yeah, I, I wonder how focused he'll be. I mean, Joke has as crazy ability to turn his focus on in the middle of a match when he's down two sets to none, right? And right, just go crazy. But I don't know. I feel like he's been distracted with player unions and, and, and all sorts of things. Yep. Well, I will say this. If he's if he's not playing his A game early in the early rounds and he faces some good competition or there's someone tricky in his draw, I think early rounds could be dangerous for Novak. Yeah, I think as you go, I think the further he gets in the tournament, the better he's going to be unless, you know, a Nadal or a team actually are able to take it from him. But He's proved in these semis and these finals, he just doesn't lose in Australia. So yeah. I think if you're going to take him out, you got to do it earlier. Kind of like a, I think Chung beat him early. I think he was dealing with injury, but again, if you don't take Novak out early, you know that injury could have healed up, and he could have he could have gone on to win that one. I think that was when Federer won, and I think it was 2018. But like you said, Novak's very dangerous. No matter if he's injured, no matter if he's distracted, he can play into form. He can become focused all of a sudden, and you're like. What you know? What is this? Novak was not playing well early, but mm-hmm. he's uh he can be a dang- almost like a wounded animal can be be a little bit more dangerous I think <laughs> when he's not playing well because he gets frustrated. He's like, why am I not playing well? And then all of a sudden he flips the switch, starts playing well. You're like, what? I think that's what happened in the final against Team. Honestly, Team didn't quite close him out. And he's like, why am I playing so bad? And then just started playing good. So he's he's a tricky one for sure. Yeah, an impressive player, no doubt. For sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm another another player. Obviously, we won't be able to see Murray because he tested positive right before the the Australian Open, so he's not un- unable to travel. Very sad for him. Even though you know, one thing I'll say about Murray, he's actually been very successful at the Australian Open. I know we give him a lot of hardship for losing the final five times. <laughs> it's a record, right? But his win percentage there at the Australian Open seventy nine percent for his career, which put it in perspective. His career win loss is 80%. So you're like, okay, a little bit low average. But if you look at Wimbledon, that's kind of the outlier for him. He performed so well in Wimbledon, 85%, that actually the Australian Open is his second best event as far as Grand Slams go, which I thought was interesting. It's it's tight. It's like 79% Australian Open, 78% for the French, 78% for Australia or for US Open. But still, I mean, Murray is a very, very solid hardcore player, pretty much solid wherever he goes. But it's just bummer we won't have him this year. So. We'll have to wait to return to Australia. I know. So uh, there were uh, reports, right? Some reports that 
the Olympics were going to be canceled. And I was really bummed because Murray <laughs> excels in the Olympics. Doesn't he have two golds? I think he has two golds and singles. And Federer yeah. has a silver. Djokovic has nothing, which mm. is shocking because I think he lost the bronze match to Del Potro. And then uh, I think you're right. Somebody, or maybe, and maybe another year, Nishikori or something like. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a bummer for Novak. I don't know how he doesn't have a medal. And Feder, you know, with the silver, I think he's hungry too. But because that's one of his goals is the Olympics, his yeah. golden doubles. But I, I think, but Rafa, he has a gold, right? In uh, I think Rafa won it. Yeah, two thousand eight. Yeah, two thousand eight in Beijing. Rafa won a gold. So. Yep. Anyway, they they talked down those rumors, so it looks like it's Good. back on or still on. Yeah. So hopefully, Murray can shine again yeah, <laughs> that'd be that'd be awesome but let's see matt like let's uh let's let's go through you know we don't have any tennis to talk about currently really in australia but as far as some epic matches in the past what have been some of your favorite australian open matches that you've watched or been able to witness Anything Man, come that's, to mind? that's a good question you're gonna have to go first on this one it's all right i'll, I'll go first on this last but ask this to myself so yeah australia i mean I'm a big Wimbledon guy. I really enjoy watching the grass court season, not only because Federer excels there, but just, just something about, you know, the special nature of Wimbledon and how it, you know, yeah, I guess they're all grand slams, but really it's kind of the pinnacle of sport. But my, but my next favorite slam to watch would probably be Australia, just because I feel that energy from the players and the fans. It's just, I think it's got a special tournament and there's been some epic matches. So if you come to mind, we won't go through the stats of all of them, but just, um, First one that came to mind was actually a Nadal match that one of the first tennis matches that I watched after watching the Wimbledon. Because my first match ever was the last set of Federer versus Nadal Wimbledon 2008. Pretty good match to watch. And I was like, oh, this tennis thing, this actually looks pretty cool. It's before I'd never, never even watched a match. But it was 2009 Australian Open. So before Nadal won his, own, his only title in Australia against Federer, he had to fight uh, his own countryman, Verdasco, in five sets. And Verdasco was playing out of his mind. And then Nadal would just up the ante with like some crazy, you know, banana type shot around the net post. So there's, if you've seen the highlights for that match, Verdasco and Nadal, that's an epic, epic match. They they ran, I think the distance that they covered too was like absurd. So that one, that one definitely comes to mind as like an epic. Neither player wanted to yield. And so they just had to keep outplaying each other with different shots. Uh, let's see another one that comes to mind, which we will get into some numbers in a minute is Stan Wawrinka, uh, 2013 versus Novak Djokovic kind of Stan, I guess, coming to the party, right. Showing that he's not just a player with a good backhand that he can actually string it together. He lost the match ultimately, but he won the first set six, one and stunned the world number one. And frankly, the commentators, everyone watching myself, I, you know, I thought Djokovic had it in the bag, but he fought Djokovic in a five-setter. Djokovic, I believe, had to win 12-10 in the fifth. And, yeah, Stan played amazing but still lost. So, like I said, we'll cover those numbers. I think the, ne and then the next year, obviously, Stan was able to exact revenge on Novak and beat him in five sets in Australia. So that one comes to mind as well. All right, what else do you got, Matt? Any come to mind? Do you have a couple of mine? So, <laughs> so one that came to mind. Put you on the spot. No, no, you're good. Uh, was this? 
Yeah. So in, in 2020, was this the first time? Was last year the first time that team beat Rafa in a in a Grand Slam in Australia? I believe so, actually. Yeah, because uh, US Open, it was five sets, but Nadal beat him. And then obviously the French, he hasn't beaten him yet. So I, I believe you're right. Yeah. So for the man. sake of, of big moments for for Dominic Team, we've been talking about him anyway. When he beat Rafa last year in the quarterfinals, mm -hmm. he took the first two sets in the tie breaks. And then I think he was up 5 4 in the third. He was able, to, he had a chance to serve it out. But uh, no, that can't be right because he lost the third set 4 6. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he lost the third set. He had a chance to serve it out in the fourth set. He was up 5 4. Mm -hmm. yep. And then Rafa broke back, took it to a tie break, and the team beat him. So four setter, three sets were tie breaks. That's that's impressive. Playing a guy that you haven't beaten in a slam yet. You've gotten close in multiple other grand slams. And he was able to pull it together and take it. So Yeah. And then go on and almost win the whole tournament, right? Yeah. Lost a joke, yeah, no, you're right. That's insane. I remember watching or yeah, watching that match and just seeing team not wilt in the tie breaks. You know, I think that sometimes he gets not necessarily scared at all, but you kind of get intimidated and you know, maybe you make some tight mistakes, but he was he was outplaying Nadal in the tie breaks like crazy, and it was surprising to watch. But it was it was high quality tennis by by teams. So like you're saying, showed that he can play on the hard court and beat pretty much anybody. Absolutely, it's a really good one. Yeah, the first two tie breaks he won seven three and seven four. The fourth fourth setter was uh, eight six, but but yeah, I mean seven three seven four. That's a pretty convincing tie break right there. Absolutely. Good performance. My and then of course one of my favorite matches was of course Federer's comeback from injury where he in 2017 Australian Open I kind of alluded to it earlier but he was able to defeat Rafael Nadal in five sets and that was a, kind of a weird weird match because there was there was no tie breaks there wasn't even like a seven five or six four I don't think it was just you know back and forth maybe there's a six four but like six three Federer would win the first set and Nadal would come back and win the second set six four and then they were back and forth trading sets every other set. Um, and Federer came back from being a breakdown in the fifth. I think he was 0-3 down in the fifth and came back to win at 6-3. So that one for me, I mean, it definitely had some rallies, but just a, a, an interesting match as far as tennis history and Federer coming back from injury and just the amazing backhands he was hitting. So that was a that was definitely a fun one. But the numbers that I want to dive into, you know, let's 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 go back to 2013, Stan Wawrinka and Novak Djokovic. I thought these numbers were interesting. Because they didn't show necessarily what I thought they would show, I'll just I'll just put it that way. But I'm comparing the numbers, um, the the 2013 and the 2014 matches, right? Where 2013 Stan lost in five, and then next year in 2014 Stan won in five. So I'm kind of comparing those numbers here, and I'll, I'll I'll show you what I'm what I'm finding here. So in 2013, Stan of course lost. He won 49% of the points to 51% for Novak. So a pretty tight match and they went, they played for five hours. It was an intense, intense match. And then you compare it to 2014 where Stan won again, about 49% of the points, actually slightly less. And he still won the match compared to Novak's 51%. So kind of interesting breaking down the numbers. Stan, I didn't realize he was acing like crazy in the 2014 match when he won it. He aced 10% of the time compared to 
the year before he aced about seven and a half percent of the time. And meanwhile, Novak was four and 5% respectively. So, or five and 4% respectively. So yeah, Stan is hitting almost twice the amount of aces that of, of Djokovic. And I, I do remember Stan serving well. I just, I don't think I remember that ace count, which again, against someone like Djokovic, that's pretty impressive to be acing him like that. Then you go to first serve points one. And in 2013, the stand was at 62%. So not that great for a, um, or sorry, I'm going to first serve points one. Sorry. So 68% for stand, 71% for Novak. So again, Novak, you know, you kind of expect him to be slightly better in that category, though, despite Stan's aces. And in the next year, in 2014, Stan won 72% to Novak 71. So he definitely showed some increase in that first serve points one, you know, stringing together some combinations. Again, these are tight numbers though. You know, even though Novak was 3% better in 2013 and Stan was only 1% better in 2014, that's that's still super tight numbers. But Djokovic takes the cake on second serve points one for both. So even the year that Stan won it in 2014, he was 9% better 59% to 50%. So if I looked at that number alone, I would think, yeah, Djokovic had this match. Maybe not in the bag, but he, you know, he definitely won it. But that's that's not the case. Stan was able to overcome Djokovic winning so many second serve points won. And then the year that Stan lost it, it was also not in his favor. It was a difference of about 3%, with Djokovic being about 55% second serve points won. So the 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 big difference maker, the the return numbers are almost identical. With Djokovic, of course, his numbers being better, but the really the only difference I could see on the serves was the break points saved. So Djokovic saved 50% of break points when he lost in 2014. When he when he won it though in 2013 and and overcame Stan, even though Stan was playing great, 61% break points saved. That's that's a very high number. So it was almost 11% better uh, in 2013 than it was 2014. Stan still was able to save a decent amount. In the 2013, he saved 53%, but then it went down for him to 43% the, the next year that he won. So he must, must not have faced as many break points in 2014, but he didn't save as many. So, yeah, kind of interesting that, you know, both both matches, they kind of had a similar feel where Djokovic won the first set in 2014 pretty handily. Stan won the first set in 2013 pretty handily, and then from then on it was super tight. But, again, Stan only won 49% of the points. And it was brutal that he lost in 2013, but then 2014 somehow was able to pull it off. And I honestly thought in a lot of ways, Stan looked, as far as the eye test, he looked better in 2013, if that makes sense. Played a little bit big. Maybe it was because they were bigger winners or some longer rallies, but amazing that the numbers are fairly identical. The only thing that swapped around was first serve points one, and then Djokovic was actually better on second serve points one in, in 2014. So again, maybe one of those where when the match is so close, the numbers can only tell you so much, right? I mean, it's going to come down to those big moments, those big points won. So that was a little surprising to me. I thought I would have seen a significant um, improvement from Stan in 2014 when he beat Djokovic, but the numbers were really pretty much the same. So just thought that was interesting. wanted to share that. All right, the other player we wanted to talk about, so we wanted to talk about Aussie local, Nick Kyrgios. So talk about him. I know I know he didn't really play much uh, in 2020 due to the pandemic, 
I think he pretty much stayed home for most of it. So we really haven't seen him play in a while, but do want to do want to talk about him. I know he's controversial, but he also is a is a great player. So I wanted to talk first on how he does. You know, he's beating all the he's beating all the top guys, right? He's beating Feder, he's beating Djokovic multiple times, beating Nadal. Murray, I think he struggled with a little bit, but he can beat all the top guys. He just, as we talk about, not consistent round to round. Now, you want to take a guess at his best showing at a major as far as round? What's the furthest round he's ever gotten? Mm, 16? It's pretty close. Quarters, but not Quarters. even every okay. major. Yeah. So, French Open, he's never made this round of 16. At Wimbledon, he's made the quarters once when he first came on the scene in 2014, beating Nadal. And I think it was the round of 16. And then U.S. Open, he's never made the round of 16. So, maybe on average, yeah, it is about – Round of 16 or a little bit before then. The Australian, he did make the quarters in 2015. That's when he lost to Murray. But really, I mean, you look at all his recent results, and they're they're not that good. It's, you know, 2020, last year, he did play the Australian Open, made it to the fourth round, round of 16. 2019, though, he lost in the first round in Australia. So I think the locals have gone, uh, given up on him a little bit. But in, in fairness, Australian Open is his second-best tournament. He's won... His win rate there is 67% compared to Wimbledon is 68%. And then the French is only 50% when U.S. Open. Surprising that he's done so bad there, 53%. So for some reason, I don't know if he's getting bad draws in the U.S. Open or he's tired or done with the season by by the late you know, August, September, but he doesn't play very well at the U.S. Open. So there's some hope for you Aussie fans, even if it's you know maybe only quarters or, uh, or about there. But he, he has done the fourth round, 2020 and 2018, he made the, the round of 16. So maybe there's some hope. But, yeah, I don't know. Nick Kyrgios is just such a wild card. You know, he can, he can tank matches, which is interesting, but he can also play lights out. So I really don't know what to think about the young Aussie. Only, only Nick Kyrgios knows Nick Kyrgios. Does he, does, he, does he not have a coach still? Is that true? You know, that's a good question. I don't, I don't, I don't know. think he does. Yeah. And I, and I guess to be, you know, one great thing that he did last year was last year was the, all the brush fires in Australia. They had a really rough year with that. And he, he did a lot of campaigning on social media and also did an exhibition uh, to raise money. And he also pledged to donate $200 for every ace that he served. Uh, during that summer and a bunch of other players took it up. So I think he was kind of praised for that. Um, won some fans there. And interestingly, like he played a lot better in that year. He made the, he made the fourth round. So who knows, who knows with Nick, but I know with his off season, maybe we shouldn't be expecting too much. Cause I don't know how much, you know, work on the physical or training that he did, but I mean, it was a pandemic year to be fair. So I don't know what to expect from him, but it'll be interesting to see him. I feel like they're extra critical of him, the commentators and, and the fans, because they expect a lot from the, from the Aussie, but it's had a lot of years and kind of disappointing them. I think most of the years. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll be interesting. You've got, you've got Millman and there's an, isn't there another Aussie? Another yeah. There's uh, Atomic always. Uh, oh yeah. Hyped up. Yeah. Yeah, and then he uh, well. so maybe maybe they'll take <laughs> maybe they'll take some of the pressure off of them. Maybe, but uh, no, you always hope that these players come out and play well, right? Like yeah. you said, Nikirios has incredible talent. Um, I, 
if you just look at his his numbers in Australian compared to career, they're pretty similar. Right? There's not nothing crazy. I mean, he does his first serve percentage is up like 1.4 percent, and he saves about three percent more of his break point. Oh no, he wins about three percent more of his break point chances. But Sorry, um, repeat that one real quick. He wins three percent more of his break points chances. This is curious. Yeah. Yeah. In the in Australian Open. Oh, okay, got it. Yep. Compared to his career uh, match play. So yeah. Maybe he feels a little bit more at home. We'll see. Hopefully, hopefully people are more accepting of him. Interesting. Yeah, the other Aussie that I, if I would put money on an Aussie going far, I would definitely say Alex D. Menor. I don't know if you've seen him play. That's he's what a, I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, so I forgot about him, but he's a uh, you know shorter, but he he can play with some fire, and he runs down every ball. I know Leighton Hewitt, who coaches the Australian team, the Davis Cup team. He is very bullish on this guy and and how far he can go. So he's definitely a fun one to watch. Be interesting to see what type of draw that he gets. Do you know when the draw's coming out? Uh, I don't. They usually do it the Friday before. So let's see. I think match play starts on like the 8th of February. So that previous week. So I would say I would say first week of February we'd probably know. Great. Just guessing. I would have to, to look that up. But hopefully coming soon. Because it would be fun to do, you know, talking about which matches to, to tune in for on that. Especially the first round. There's always fun to see. Like what? How did you know? I think Stan had a, a big match one year in the first round. Or like, man, how did he get? How did he draw that? So, oh yeah, Stan and Stan and Murray, I think, have played one time in the first round somehow. So, it's pretty fun. Um, I saw yeah. I was reading an article as well about Novak Djokovic and how good he is, not only in Australia but in Australia in the first set, and how he just dominates. He wins like sixty four percent of his games in the first set. So and. When he takes the first set, he usually wins, especially talking about the finals and how I think he won all the first sets in in the finals that he won or most of them. Hmm. So just interesting there. And he, he does better. I think the next closest player was Rafa at 61%. And then Agassi also 61 But, yeah, and Federer down at 60 So Djokovic, he's just so lights out in that first first set. Winning tons of games and kind of overwhelms the opponent. They're like, well, this guy's the you know, seven-time champ in Australia. and. <laughs> I think it's just hard to climb out of that, but yeah, it's how he's laser focused to start. So again, watch for that. Let's see how he starts out his first sets in in the early round. See if he's focused or not. That's interesting. It's really interesting stuff. Well, that's about what about what we got. Obviously, it'll be crazy to see the the young guns. I'm also excited, like I mentioned, to see Tsitsipas, Rublev. Medvedev, let's see how let's see how 2021 treats him um, coming off of winning the ATP World Tour Finals. So I'm um, definitely excited to watch some tennis. Like I said, we'll definitely have an episode when the draw comes out and showing which matches we should watch. So as always, uh, visit us at cognitionsphere.com. And uh, we have theme music brought to us by Kevin MacLeod with excerpts from his song, Cool Rock. Uh, please also share our podcast with a friend that, that enjoys tennis. And take a minute to write a quick review if you're enjoying this podcast. Um, and until next time, we will see you on the court.